0: Dear congregation, I invite you to turn in God's holy word to Revelation twenty-one. Revelation twenty-one. We're going to read the entire chapter, and I just noticed in the bulletin that I had verses one through twenty-one, but I really would like to read the entire chapter. So please take out your Bibles and turn to Revelation twenty-one. And our focus will be on verses nine through twenty-one but um, obviously we'll make reference to the entire chapter in this day. Revelation 21. Let us hear the holy and infallible inspired word of our, of our God. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven <clears throat> and the first earth had passed away also And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away into the spirit, in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb and he who walked with me had a golden reed to measure the city its gates and its wall and the city is laid out as a square its length is as great as its breadth and he measured the city with a reed 12000 furlongs its length breadth and height are equal then he measured its wall 140 cubit 44 cubits according to the measurement of a man that is of an angel The construction of its wall was of jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardis, the seventh chrysolite. the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz the tenth chrysopras, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of the of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all. By day there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. May God bless the reading of His precious Word. As we also are in Lord's Day 23 and 24 of the Heidelberg Catechism, I just want to acknowledge why we're proceeding through Revelation 21 here, as our text will be, especially as John hears these words, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And, and here John is, is seeing the fulfillment of what our confessions all direct us to. We recognize in Lord's Day 7 through 22 that we've been ex- expositing really the Apostles' Creed and those confessions from Scripture. And last Lord's Day in Lord's Day 22, we confess life everlasting. And that life everlasting reveals that the Bride of the Lord Jesus Christ and the hope of the Lord Jesus, the Bride of the Lord Jesus Christ is that we are graciously clothed and ordained, adorned with Christ's righteousness, His holiness, and His glory. And we really confess that in Lord's Day 23 and 24, the graciousness of being adorned with the righteousness of Christ that we might be an heir of eternal life. Let us hear that as we confess Lord's Day 23 and Lord's Day 24. Question 59. But what profit is it to you that you believe all of this. Namely, all that we've confessed in the way of the Apostles' Creed. Answer, that I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir of eternal life. Question 60. How are you righteous before God? Answer, only by a true faith in Jesus Christ so that though my conscience accused me that I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God and kept none of them, and am still inclined to all evil, notwithstanding God without any merit of mine, but only of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. Even so, as if I never had had nor committed any sin. Yea, as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me, inasmuch as I embrace such benefit with a believing heart. Question 61. Why do you say that you are righteous by faith only? Answer? Answer? Not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith, but because only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God, and that I cannot receive and apply the same to myself any other way than by faith only. Question 62. But why cannot our good works be the whole or part of our righteousness before God? Answer? because that the righteousness which can be approved of before the tribunal of God must be absolutely perfect and in all respects conformable to the divine law and also that our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. Question 63. What? Do not our good works merit which yet God will reward in this and in a future life? Answer, this reward is not of merit, but of grace. Question 64. But does not this doctrine make men careless and profane? Answer, by no means. For it is impossible for those who are implanted into Christ by true faith that they should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. So far, our Confession, Lord's Day 23 and 24. I trust you'll see some of the connections as we continue to look at this passage in Revelation 21. Especially as we look at this in regard with our theme, the Bride of Christ graciously adorned the Bride of Christ, graciously adorned. And we're going to see that with four thoughts. First of all, she's adorned with unity. Secondly, with glory. Thirdly, with protection. And thirdly, fourthly, with perfection. Last Lord's Day, we looked at the first eight verses of this chapter. Revelation 21. And we saw there that All things are new. Behold, God has made all things new. The old order is gone and past, and the new order has come. The new order where God is dwelling perfectly with His people, and His people perfectly with Him, in the fullest sense of Emmanuel. God with us, and we with Him. That is everlasting life. And today as we move forward as to what this means really for the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are now dwelling with God perfectly, we find John in verse 9 caught up in the Spirit to hear, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And what we, we do, we recognize here that in verse 9, first of all, that there is an angel, and a very specific angel that talks with him and says, these words, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And I think this, this angel is significant because this is the same angel, this is the same angel that we find earlier in Revelation, Revelation 15, dealing with the seven bowls of the wrath of God. The the plagues that would come upon this world. This same angel comes and reveals the Bride of Christ. And so what we do is we see here the contrast that is set forth before us in in the book of Revelation. Revelation. The contrast between really the harlot of Babylon and the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the the contrast between the city of Babylon and the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. And in this contrast, first of all, we recognize that the harlot was uh, arrayed or adorned in purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and and had a golden cup in her hand filled with all of the abominations and the filthiness of the fornication of, of Babylon. And she fell and great was the fall of this city, Babylon. But now we're caught up and we see this new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. This new Jerusalem is one that endures and is adorned by God Himself. Graciously adorned as a bride. Last week we saw how a city is is defined as something that is unifying. There's there's really, as you come into a city, you see a, a population sign. And it tells you how many People dwell within this city. It doesn't necessarily tell you how many hospitals are in this city, how many schools are in this city, or how many homes, but it identifies by a number of people, inhabitants, because they all come in this same social order under one government of this city and live in unity in the city. And there's something about unity reflected in a city. There's also and especially in this passage there is the unity that's reflected in a bride a bride one who is one who is perfectly and intimately united to the Lord Jesus Christ this is the lamb's wife This is the One who has given Himself so that on that final day, the marriage feast of the Lamb could take place and the bride could be one with her husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. We see unity in a marriage and we praise God. And and as we heard this morning, it's a very honorable thing. Marriage is honorable. But this is the most honorable of all marriages. The marriage between Christ and His church. This is a perfect marriage, a marriage where there's no more quarrels. There's never the chance of a divorce. There's never the chance of a separation. Not even death will dissolve this marriage. Actually, death has, has brought this marriage to its perfect consummation that death of the Son of God, the Lamb, who is given to the bride. And so you can see the emphasis here on the fact that the bride then is is adorned with unity. The very unity that our, our Lord prays for in John 17, that His bride would be one even as He and the Father and the Spirit are one. That His bride would be one with Him. One with the Father. One with the Son. One with the Holy Spirit. And one with one another. That's His desire. That's His prayer for His bride. If you want to hear a couple of very moving, well done messages on John 17 and the necessity of the unity of the bride, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether it be unity between us as, me- as members of the Bride of Christ. Or whether it be between churches or denominations or whatever it would be. I listened to Pastor Eric Mordyke's ser- messages on Seminary Day. I'm sure you can find them on maybe Dundas FRC um, sermon audio. This is... This is what Christ desires. This is His end goal for His bride. This is how to display her righteousness and her glory and her beauty to the whole world. It's through her unity. Her unity. And here, the bride of Christ is shown to be adorned with unity. Not only unity. We also see her adorned with Glory, with glory. As he's carried away to this high mountain, and he sees the the city near Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. What is the first thing he he sees besides the unity of the cities? He sees glory. She has the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone clear as crystal. This is a glory that can only be received from God. God is the one who glorifies His bride. Isn't that why god created us in the first purpose in the first place for the purpose of giving glory to his name that's the chief end of man according to the westminster confessions is that we would enjoy god and glorify him and here, the final consummation of, of His people all is one in this new city coming down from God is that His people are one unto His glory. Having His glory. Reflecting His glory. Radiating all of His attributes in His glory. I think about um, the glory of God as it dwelt in Israel. In the Holy of Holies and in the Tabernacle. That Shekinah, that weighty glory of God, to a natural eye, it would be blinding glory. John earlier saw the glory of God and he fell, and the glory of Christ, and he fell at his feet as almost as if he was dead. But here, this new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, has the glory of God. Reflecting His perfect love. Reflecting His perfect mercy, justice, and truth. You see, Ezekiel Hopkins wrote that the bride of Christ glorified is this where the unveiled glories of the deity shall beat full upon us and we will forever sun ourselves in the smiles of God and thereby reflect His glory. Glory is the primary aspect of the new Jerusalem. Because God's glory and the glory of His Son is manifest in this city as a light. Notice that. He says, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And and so we know that it's 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 a derived glory that is reflected just like when light is cast upon a diamond and it reflects the glory of that diamond. So also, for a Christian, and especially for a glorified Christian, we will reflect that glory perfectly. And that glory comes from the light of that city. And who is the light of that city? And in verse 23, that city had no need of a sun or a moon. It's not from an earthly sun. The glory of God illuminated and it, and the Lamb is the light of the glory of God. And then as John writes in his Gospel, we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Then forever we will bathe in the glory of God and of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that that's all in the future. That begins when God works in the heart and the life of His people. He begins to give them a glory as the Son of God shines in their hearts by the power of His Holy Spirit that they would also reflect God's glory in this life. You see, if it's all about the life to come, and it's all about being saved for an eternity to be in heaven and to be able to reflect the glory of God, then we've missed the point. And that's what our confessions do too. Lord's Day 23 and 24 highlight the fact that yes, indeed, we are saved by Jesus Christ and that we are made righteous in Him and that it is His holiness that we receive by grace. It is all through Him that we can stand before God. It's not out of any merit in ourselves. It's not how good our faith is. It's not how good and how well we reflect God's glory. And so, question 64 asks us, does not this doctrine make men careless and profane? And the answer is, by no means. Because those who are implanted into Christ, those who are one with Christ, those who have received the Holy Spirit, it is impossible for them not to bring forth fruits of thankfulness. And so our light needs to begin to shine today. Not because we have light within ourselves, but we have light from above from Jesus Christ. And so He calls us in Matthew 5, let your light shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It's a it's a blessing to be able to go on a vacation from time to time. And sometimes to go to a place where you've really dreamed of going and wanted to go for a long time. And you don't know a lot about the culture. You don't know. But, but you have all of these desires to get to know this culture and to get to know the people there and, and the places of their history and everything about it. And as you prepare for such a vacation, you do a lot of research. If you're going to a sunny vacation, you might, even, you might even prepare yourself by getting a little bit of a tan because you don't want to get burned on your first day or whatever it would be. You want to prepare yourself to go into this other culture with as much knowledge so that you can go and enjoy it. I don't know about you, but when I think about the glorification of of the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ and our eternal home in heaven, it's far more than just a vacation. That's our eternal dwelling with Christ, with His people, as one, reflecting the glory of God. And if that's the case, wouldn't I want to be doing as much research why I want to be doing as much preparation for that glory as what I possibly can before I enter into it. Are we preparing ourselves by being conformed to the beautiful image of our Lord Jesus Christ? You know how much planning goes into a wedding. for a short period of time. A couple hours and it's all over. How much planning are you doing for the glory that awaits you and the adorned glory of our Lord? Are you being prepared, conformed to the beautiful image of our Lord Jesus Christ? Because that is... Glory, the glory of God. This bride is adorned with unity and with glory, but thirdly, she's also adorned with protection and security. Notice verse thirteen. Oh sorry, verse twelve. She had great and high walls. 12 gates, 12 angels at the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel, and three gates on the east, three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the, on, on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb, and he who talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. And the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with a reed. 12,000 furlongs. Its length and breadth and height are equal. And he measured its wall 144 cubits according to the measure of a man that is of an angel. When I read that section of the adornment of the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, it tells me one thing. The adorned bride is protected by her bridegroom forever. Let me explain. The walls of this city, to put it into our figures, are over two hundred and twenty. That's a wall that nobody's going to be able to get over. That's a wall that nobody's going to be able to get through. There are doors and gates all around the city. And these gates are protected by angels. Guarded by angels. No one's going to get into these gates without going through a host of angels. Furthermore, God's Word is reminding us again and again that all those who are outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, unbelievers, and all who participate in ungodliness, and all who are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, will not enter these gates. And so you might begin to think, well, Pastor, what in the world does a bride need to be protected from? And the answer is nothing. Absolutely nothing. And yet, this picture comes to us and to John as he sees this new city coming down from God out of heaven and tells him there is absolute security and protection in the city of the living God in, new, in the New Jerusalem. It will be secure for all eternity. There will be absolutely nothing that will ever separate the Bride of Christ from the love of her Bridegroom. Ever. Because not only do does the city have great walls and guarded gates? But the twelve gates have inscribed on them the very tribes of Israel. And the foundations have inscribed upon them the names of the twelve apostles showing that there's perfect continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that indeed, this city is God's dwelling place. The Lord Himself is there. And He gives security to this city. This is the church that is built upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ Himself, who is the cornerstone. This is a city that, is, that, is, that will never be conquered by anyone. And we are united together and built up into this habitation in the city, according to Ephesians two. And we are one in him who is the king of this city. But these gates do tell us who's going to be in this city. It tells us that there's gates on every side of the city. Three open gates on all four sides of the city. And it illustrates the free access into this city from all parts of the world. From every nation. From every people and tribe and tongue. The gates are open and welcome through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the message that it sends. And it reminds us that, that all of this access into the city of God Reminds us that no one will be missing. No one will be left out. No one will have an excuse for not entering this city. No one could ever say the the gates of this city are shut for me. I can't get in. Because the gates of that city shall not be shut at all. According to verse 25. The city of God is a city that will contain every single believer. Everyone who is written in the Lamb's book of life. And they will be secure in this city because they are adorned with the protection of God and of our Bridegroom Himself. But lastly, we see that the city is adorned with perfection. Perfection. Let me read that in verse 16. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city, the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length and breadth and height are equal. And he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measurement of a man that is of an angel. And the construction of its wall was of jasper. And the city was of pure gold like clear glass. What is this telling us? Well, first of all, it's telling us that the city is adorned with perfection in way of a perfect cube. A perfect cube. Length and breadth are the same. And its height is the same. Literally, in our understanding, it's Fourteen hundred miles in each direction. It's a huge city. This size of this city tells us that the that the bride is not one person or even a few few people. It's millions and millions of people. It's it's a, it's a, it's an amount of people that cannot even be numbered. Says the Bible. without looking too specifically at the numbers, we recognize that the Holy of Holies of the temple was also a cube, 10 by 10 by 10. And there it showed a perfect earthly symbol of complete fellowship with God. That is where God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. It's a symbol of fullness. A symbol of perfection. And here in the dimensions of this city and of the walls of this city symbolize to us the fullness and the completeness of this city in number. Even as the symbolic number of 144,000 in chapter 7. But it also symbolizes the fullness and the perfection of Christ's redeeming work and the fellowship that we can now have with the Lord our God in this city. It's a perfect cue. Giving evidence of a perfect fullness. But it also gives us evidence of a perfect splendor. A perfect splendor. I don't want to speculate on on what these verses all point to and refer to and what heaven will exactly be like and what the bride of Christ will be. But but let's just appreciate it as we as we read it, beginning in verse 18. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was Jasper, the second sapphire, the third Chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl. And the city, and the street of the city, was pure gold, like transparent glass. We don't need to really talk about each individual thing. I think we get the point. The point is this. That there is one thing absolutely sure. That the material used to symbolize the adornment of the Bride of Christ in this new city, Jerusalem, are precious and rare and God spares nothing he spares nothing in ordaining, or, or, adorning His bride. Unspeakable splendor. You know, the Queen of Sheba, she heard a lot about the temple and the glory of Jerusalem in the days of Solomon. And she finally comes to Jerusalem. And she sees it for herself. And she exclaims, the half hasn't been told her. Oh, dear congregation, the half, not even a tenth, not even a hundredth, has been told us about the glory and the splendor of the adorning of Christ's bride with all the best and lavish gifts that God has to bestow upon her. That is what this is referring to. It's no wonder when Paul was taken up as it were into the third heaven. He says, I saw things that, that are unspeakable. I can't even utter them with the voice of a man. I remember standing in awe when I was in school, grade school in Iowa. We have the capital in Iowa's Des Moines and they have a capital building and, and the, the, the dome is, 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 is very thin gold. And you can see from, from a long ways away, miles away actually, you can see that, that gold reflect off the dome. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing. Now imagine a huge city of pure, solid gold with golden streets. You can imagine one small diamond reflecting light and the beauty of it and the glory of it. Now imagine... 5,600 miles of pure diamond foundation radiating. Our human minds can't comprehend it. Unspeakable splendor with which the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ is adorned. He adorns her with the best and the rarest, and the most expensive, and the most beautiful, and the most luxurious materials that we could ever imagine. The one who has held nothing back in giving his only begotten Son to die for a sinner like us will not hold anything back when he adorns us to be like his Son. Because he gives a perfect purity. A perfect purity. Notice that. In verse 11, we find there that, that her light is like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, perfectly clear. Notice again. Verse 18, pure gold is pure and clear as glass. Verse 21, pure gold is transparent glass. When the bride of Christ is adorned, you can see right through her. And all you can see is purity. Pure righteousness. Pure holiness. Pure glory. I I would imagine if you could see right into the hearts of us today and most of us would shudder and hide under the benches. But on that day, we will have a perfect conscience, a perfect unity of heart, a perfect conformity to the will of our God, washed clean in the blood of the Lamb Clothed with his white robes of righteousness, pure inside, pure outside, reflecting the purity of God and all of his purely divine attributes. This will be a perfect glory wall to wall glory, gate to gate glory. All glory, nothing but glory, head to toe, glory, full of glory. Isn't that what Jesus desires also in that prayer in John 17? And God would take us to Himself, to behold His glory and to share in that perfect glory forever. Our confessions testify of the amazing grace and the amazing love of our God, the incredible love of our God. It comforts us as it directs us to the life everlasting. That's only through the Lord Jesus Christ is that your comfort today. After we go through all of this, do we see His grace, His love, and His finished work so that we might know that there is a day coming when all the battles with sin here below will be finished, we will be finished with sin, clothed and adorned in Christ's righteousness, holiness, and glory forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, so often we confess you as our Father, the Creator of all things, the one who upholds all things, the one who is, provide, is providing for us day by day, and who has provided us with your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. to such sinners, to such people who are inclined to all evil, to such people who have grossly transgressed all Your commandments. Merely by Your grace, You impute to us and adorn us with perfect salvation, with robes of righteousness, with holiness and with glory. We can't comprehend the depths of Your love, O God of our salvation. We pray, O Lord, that You would give us grace to bring forth true fruits of thankfulness even in this day as Your Spirit dwells in us and works through us Be pleased, O God, to shine the light of Your grace and of Your love and of Your Son into our hearts that we would reflect Your glory. That we would reflect it in unity. That we would reflect it as we encourage one another in the pathway of godliness and holiness. Lord, go with us. Forgiving us of all of our shortcomings. Forgiving us for having such a low appreciation of your bride, whom you are adorning because of what you have done. Help us to love her and cherish her even as you do. And help us, grant us grace to live in your sight with a clear and pure heart. Day by day, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.